Adults, so turn with me to the book of Revelation. We will finish today. It is our goal to finish the book of Revelation. Last Sunday, we talked about that 75-day period in between the tribulation period and the kingdom age. The 75-day period in between that. <laughs> Amen. And today we're going to start up with the first day of the kingdom. The first day of the kingdom age or the first day of the millennium. In Revelation 19, you have John. He makes three statements about what he saw. In chapter 19, verse 11, he said, I saw heaven open. In chapter 19, verse 17, I saw an angel standing in the sun. Chapter 19, verse 19, And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth, their armies gathered together to make war against them that sat on the horse and against his armies. That is That brings you to the day of the Lord, or the destruction of the day of the Lord at the battle of Armageddon. That would be the 30th day after the tribulation period. 45 days later, after much restoration has taken place, it brings us to the kingdom. And then again, John says in chapter 20, verse 1, And I saw. Saw. And so in chapter 20 and 21, in relationship to the first day of the kingdom age, that thousand-year reign of Christ, there are five times, four of them, it says, John says, I saw. And then he says, I, John, saw. So five times in connection to the kingdom, we have John seen. Three times before the kingdom is set up in Revelation 19, John says, I saw. Five times in connection with the kingdom age, at the beginning of the kingdom age, John saw. And then after that, after the kingdom age, in chapter 20, you have two other I saws of John, and that is in connection with the second death at the end of the kingdom age. Okay? Praise the Lord. We have, of course, in Revelation chapter 6, the invitation to come. Remember? The announcement from the throne as these horses are coming out. The Bible says, come and see. They're coming out of the throne. So the invitation is to come and see or to get a revelation of the throne. Now at the end of the book, we have the response to the invitation to come and see. And of course, we had in the first book, part of Revelation, the invitation to come to the throne. Now we have at the end of the book, Revelation, the uh, <clears throat> responding to that invitation and coming to the throne or the kingdom. That's why we have here, and I saw. An invitation to see at the first, and now, and I saw, 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 and I saw. Okay? What's he seeing? Things in connection with the kingdom or the throne. So verse 1, and I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan and bound him a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed 
a little season. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your awesome word today. We thank you for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. We thank you for your awesome word, Jesus. We give you all the glory, the praise, and the honor, Lord Jesus. And anything that would seek to hinder, any obstacles, God, that would seek to hinder the declaration of the word of God, we send them out from this house right now. Lord, all flesh and our carnality, God, be subject to your throne. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we believe it to be so. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Andy, you might want to bring the monitor down just a little bit. Or maybe the volume down. I'm not sure which it is. But I got just a little bit of a ring, okay? All right. At the beginning of the kingdom age, you're familiar with that term, right? Kingdom age or millennium. Amen. All right. It is, of course, 75 days after the tribulation period that the kingdom is actually set up, preceded by much restoration we talked about last week. The first day of the kingdom age. Amen? Let me go over here. I don't have my pointer with me, but let me go over here and let me show you. This is a seven-year tribulation period right here. Okay? Then there's 30 days after the tribulation period brings you to... The battle of Armageddon. And then after that, a 45-day period in which God is restoring things in this earth that have been destroyed in the day of the Lord destruction. And then you have this 1,000-year kingdom age. And that's where we're reading right now. All right. The first I saw in connection to the first day of the 1,000-year reign of Christ upon the earth is the binding of Satan in the bottomless pit. Say bottomless pit. This happens on the first day of the kingdom age because he's bound for how long? Not 999 days. He's bound for 1,000 days. So the first day of the kingdom age, Satan is bound in a bottomless pit, which means God kicked the bottom out from underneath him. See, he thinks, he's such, he thinks he's so strong and he thinks he's so powerful. He thinks he's omniscient, knows everything, omnipotent, all-powerful. You with me here? And omnipresent thinks he knows, you know, he's everywhere. Or at least he tries to appear that way. But in this chapter, the Bible says God's going to kick the bottom out from underneath him. And he is literally cast into a bottomless pit for 1,000 years. Are you with me here? And that is the first thing that happens here at the beginning of the kingdom age. Verse 3 says, He is shut up and a seal is set upon him that he should deceive the nations no more until how long? Until the thousand years. And that's, by the way, is where we get millennium or millennial kingdom means thousand years. Millennial, millennium, thousand years. After that thousand year kingdom age, then the Bible says he is loosed for a little season. Okay? We'll talk about that as we go through this. And then verse 4, the second, I saw. John says, and I saw thrones. And they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. Okay? So when we look at this, we talked about last week in that 45 day period, we, uh, we have the Gentile nations or the remnant or the survivors of the battle of Armageddon. 
the nations or the ethnos, the peoples, the nations, the Gentiles that survived it. They, they still have their literal, physical bodies just like we do right now. They made it through the seven-year tribulation period. They made it through the battle of Armageddon. Okay? Sheep and goats. Now, the Bible tells us that they're going to be gathered before the Lord and they're going to be judged. And this is where it happens. Now, Matthew 25, let's go over there and let's talk about this judgment. This also happens on the first day of the kingdom age. And John sees this, these thrones, and people sat on these thrones. Chapter 25, now... <clears throat> The remnant of the nations, those who survived the battle of Armageddon and tribulation, are then going to be gathered before the Lord at the throne of His glory upon the earth to be judged and to determine who are sheep and who are goats, to determine who is going into the kingdom and who is not. And this is, of course, the nations. This is not Israel. Israel has already come into the kingdom after the times of the Gentiles were fulfilled. They came into the kingdom right after the tribulation period. The second coming of the Lord, He protected them at the battle of Armageddon. They ran into that valley, remember? When He stood upon the Mount of Olives, they ran into that valley to Azale. So the Jews were saved right after the tribulation period. Their judgment has already taken place. This, this judgment here, though, is on the first day of the kingdom... And it is the judgment upon the nations, the Gentiles. Israel is not in this judgment. They are not reckoned among the nations for judgment. You understand that? They've had their own separate judgment. Okay, now, when we look at chapter 25, we see what John saw. The Bible says in verse 31, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory... And all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. This is at the beginning of the kingdom. This is not the great white throne judgment. This is the throne of his glory upon the earth. Okay. And before him shall be gathered all nations, ethnos, nations, not Israel, nations or Gentiles, ethnic groups. And he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. This, after, of course, he's bound Satan for that thousand-year kingdom age, then the, the throne of his glory judgment takes place or the judgment upon the nations and is to separate the sheep from the goats. And we talked to you last week about how that even goats are going to survive. Some goats are going to survive the battle of Armageddon. So he gathers them, the sheep and the goats, before his throne. Verse 33, he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Now, the reason why he calls them sheep is because sheep are likened to his people, and sheep are uh, leadable. You can lead sheep. You cannot lead a goat. A goat is stubborn, hard-headed, always bucking, always butting. They're, they're just self-willed and self-determined, and you can't lead a goat, okay? They are an unclean animal. But the sheep, on the other hand, are leadable. They can be led by a shepherd. They're not self-willed and self-governed. 
Notice this because this is in connection with his government. Okay, so it, this sheep, these sheep are not self-willed or self-governed, are full of rebellion. They are, are people who are willing to be led by this shepherd who is sitting upon the throne. Now notice this. He puts the goats on the left for destruction. He puts the sheep on the right to go in the kingdom. Verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The kingdom of God was prepared from before the foundation of the world. In verse 35, now notice what he says. Because when these sheep gather before him, they are shocked that they are called righteous. At this point, they don't know him. At this point, when they're first gathered to him for judgment, they are just the remnant who has survived the battle of Armageddon. Watch this. But as soon as they stand before him and look upon his face, then they get saved. But the works that they have been doing in the tribulation period shows what kind of heart they've got if they just had a revelation of Jesus. See what I'm saying? If they just had a revelation of Jesus, that would be all it would take for them to get saved. Okay? So these people, they've been delivered, they've been protected, and they've been sa- they have survived the battle of Armageddon, but they haven't been raptured, and they haven't been glorified because they're not a part of, sa- of the saved company. You understand what I'm trying to tell you here? Okay. But they are going to go into the kingdom because they're about to get saved. Because you can't enter into the kingdom of God except you be born again of the water and the spirit. So when they stand before him, evidently they're going to get born again. Because you can't enter into the kingdom spiritually or literally without being born again of the water and the spirit. Doesn't matter how religious you are, you can do a lot of good works, you can go to church all the time, you can do a lot of good things in this earth, but you cannot enter into the kingdom of God except Jesus said you be born again of the water and the Spirit. So they've done a lot of good works in the tribulation period, but that does not save them. Nobody's saved by good works. They're saved by the new birth, brought into the kingdom that way. And then that produces good works. So notice he says, okay, yeah. Verse 32 again. And before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now remember, John 3 says you can't enter into the kingdom except you be born again of the water and the Spirit. And that goes for anybody here today. I don't care if you've been raised in church. I don't care if you've gone to church all your life and you've tried to live a good moral life. That doesn't save you being religious or going to church. You must be born again of the water and the Spirit. It doesn't matter how old you are or how long you've been hanging out with, you know, church. You must be born again. Okay, 
See, you've got a knowledge of the Lord, and you try to live a good moral life, but that's not going to save you. Now notice what he says. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Are you reading along with me? You have your Bibles open. Matthew 25 and then verse 35. He says, For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me, I was sick and you visited me, I was in prison and you came unto me. Now watch the response of the righteous. Notice, they are a group called the righteous. Okay? Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw thee we a stranger and took thee in and naked or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? They are they're amazed. They are shocked. When Jesus looks at them, the righteous, and he tells them they've done all these things to him. And they're in amazement here. And so they respond by asking him, when did, they do, when did we do all these things? Verse 40, And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. So the sheep in the tribulation period minister to his brethren, minister to the 144,000 Jewish Israelites, Minister to the church. Because his brethren is not just 144,000, but to the church that's in the tribulation period who did not have food to eat, did not have water to drink. Come on. Some of them got cast into prison in the tribulation period because of their faith. And these sheep, these righteous people, evidently who have not identified themselves with the church yet. Do you hear me? How could they have identified themselves with the church and visit these people as, as somebody that's not in their group? Or go into prison and vi visit them in prison? You with me here? Because at that point, they're not believers. But they're ministering to the believers. They're ministering to the brethren. The 144,000. Or the church that needs food. Because they can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast. Now these sheep didn't take the mark. So I don't know how they got the clothing and the food and the water etc. But they had it. And they brought it to God's people. Do you understand? So there's a difference here. The Lord's showing you the difference here. If they were a part of his brethren, then they would have been in prison like the rest of them. Are you with me? But they're not a part of his brethren in the tribulation period. They're just helpers to the brethren. There are a lot of people who are not in the kingdom of God saved. There's a lot of people who are not in the church of the living God that will help people in the church. There's people in the world that, you know, you could call them in a certain sense, not in an ultimate sense, Fairly good people. People that will help you. People that will minister to you. People that will visit you in the hospital. Come see you in prison. And they don't even know Jesus. 
So just because they do these good things, okay, come on somebody, doesn't make them a part of the brethren or a part of the church. They just got a good heart, so to speak, good morality. And so basically that's what we have here in these sheep. They visited the brethren, the Lord's brethren. They fed them. They gave them water. They gave them clothes to drink. When they were in prison, they went and saw them. Now, I don't know how that's all going to happen, but it says it in the Word of God, so that means it's going to happen. So do you see the difference between the righteous and the brethren here? These sheep are survivors. They've still got their earthly bodies. Survived the tribulation period. Ministered to the brethren in the tribulation period. Survived the, the battle of Armageddon. And now they're standing before the Lord. Okay? Now, and they are shocked again at the fact that the Lord is saying that when they ministered to his brethren, they were ministering to him. That's powerful, man. But there's a distinction. You've got to see it. That's why they haven't been raptured. That's why they're not glorified. Okay? Now the Bible says, watch this. Verse 40, I'm going to read to you again. The king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire. Now the goats, okay, the wicked, the, uh, the, uh, the abominable, many of these have entered into a covenant with the Antichrist. They are goats. They are self-willed, self-determined, and they are self-governed. Okay, not righteous, but wicked goats. Are you here with me? Unclean people. He says to them, to depart from me, you curse into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So evidently, if my understanding is correctly, when they come before the Lord, these goats, and he pronounces this judgment upon them, it is my understanding they die right there. You with me here? They die right there. They experience death right there. Okay? Now, because they're not going to go into the kingdom. They can't go into the kingdom. So he's got to deal with them right there on the spot. And that's what he's doing here. Uh, so he says, depart from me, you cursed and everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, verse 42, he says to them, for I was hungered and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you took me not in, naked and you clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord. You see that? It's just because the sheep call him Lord doesn't mean they're in a safe position yet. Because even the goats recognize his lordship. Because the Bible says it's coming a time when everything, anything under the earth, in the earth, and above, is going to all bow the knee and call him Lord. So, it, it, you know, just because they're making a statement calling him Lord doesn't mean they're even saved. There's a lot of people who say, Lord, Lord, who are not going to be in the kingdom of God. But everybody's going to call him Lord, including Satan. Yes. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to the one of the least of these, you did it not to me. 
And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So at that point, these righteous people are going to be saved or born again when they look upon him face to face. At this point, they, look, they are talking and acting like people who don't know anything about Jesus. They are shocked when he talks to them about what they uh, did for him in ministering to the brethren. Okay? Now, the explanation of that passage is probably the best explanation I have ever given. Okay? Because I didn't even really see the distinctions until I read, read the passage. And the Lord said, look, here's the distinction. The brethren are being ministered to by them. And they are not seen in, in past days as a part of the brethren. A separate and distinct group. Survivors of the tribulation period. Survivors of the battle of Armageddon. And saved at the beginning of the kingdom age. And it is the sheep and the sheep only that go into the kingdom. And then the goats, the rest of the, the Gentiles will be slain. Okay? Y'all with me up to this point? Alright, so that connects us back to Revelation 20 verse 4. The second I saw of John. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them. And judgment was given unto them. And then we go on, he says, and this, and the souls of them that were beheaded. That word I saw is in italics, that particular one. And the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. In connection to the living sheep that are going to go in the kingdom, there is a resurrection of tribulation saints. Okay? Who are these? Well, go back to Revelation chapter 5. Revela no, Revelation chapter 6. Excuse me, the fifth seal. And watch this. Revelation chapter 6, the fifth seal. Verse 9, when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto to every one of them. It was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Okay. So, we have a group of people. We have martyrs here. The Bible tells us that they are under the altar. And they are told to wait till the rest of the martyrs are completed. Now, if you look at Revelation 20, then we see here, we see a resurrection that takes place, right? And this, of course, is on the first day of the, the kingdom age. These are people who, he says, I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, so they've been slain, and for the word of God. Isn't that exactly what we just read about in Revelation 6? Happened to those souls under the altar? Same words. Which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image. Neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. 
And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So in connection to the kingdom age, all right, after the seventh year of the tribulation period, you have what is called the first resurrection. And the best that I can understand the scripture is that in this first resurrection, there are different phases to it. Okay? I do know it's post-tribulational because in connection to the kingdom age, after the day of the Lord, after the battle of Armageddon, and after the tribulation period, that's when the resurrection we see is called the first resurrection is taking place. The first resurrection is post-tribulational. Not pre-trib. See, the church, the dead in Christ, the church, are not raised pre-tribulationally. And the living that are in the church are not caught up to meet the Lord in the air pre-tribulationally. Because if that were the case, before the tribulation period began, that would be the first resurrection. But the Bible says here in connection to uh, the day after the day of the Lord, you with me? Let me put it this way. In connection to after the tribulation period and the kingdom age, that's when the first resurrection begins. If you had a pre-tribulation rapture and resurrection of the church, then this could not be called the first resurrection. It would have to be called the second resurrection. But this is called the first resurrection, and it's after the tribulation period that the first resurrection is taking place, okay? So there's a resurrection of these saints, the Bible says. But verse 5, the rest of the dead live not again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. In between the, the first resurrection and the last resurrection is a thousand years. You with me here? Okay. Now, so y'all understanding up to this point so, much, so far what we've been teaching? All right. We have the binding of Satan, putting the ball in his pit, the first day of the kingdom age. We have the judgment upon the nations, first day of the kingdom age. We have the resurrection of these saints in connection to the kingdom age. All right. Now, are y'all with me here? I'm not sure if these people are actually resurrected on the first day of the kingdom age or not. But Greek scholars say that the tense of the phrase, when they're resurrected, is con it's, that it's connected with that day. Okay? I'm not a Greek scholar, so I don't know. But, they, but Greek scholars say, like Gundry says, that this resurrection is taking place on the first day of the kingdom. Either way you look at it, it is part of the first resurrection. Which means what? Well, the two witnesses were caught up at the coming of the Lord. They were a part of the first resurrection. Then the 144,000, the first fruits from among uh, from those upon the earth, the first fruits, 144,000. Then the general resurrection of the church. With me? All of those three happened before the battle of Armageddon. But this resurrection that falls underneath the, the first resurrection evidently is taking place on the first day of the kingdom. See, not everybody gets taken out of the grave at the same time. There, is, there are phases to it. 
You understand? But the, the first resurrection is at the you know is completed before, okay, the kingdom age is over. It's completed by the time you get to the beginning of the kingdom. And then there's a thousand years, and then there's a resurrection of the dead. Do you understand? Now, that is things that John saw in connection with the first day of the kingdom. Now, I'm going to jump from verse 5 and 17. I'm going to jump from there, and I'm going to go to chapter 21. And then I'm going to show you another thing that John saw that was on the first day of the kingdom. Okay? In fact, two things. And then I'm going to back up and I'm going to show you two things he saw after the kingdom. It can be a little confusing, but if you follow and you listen. When we talked about listening Wednesday, it's not just in one ear out the other. You've got to catch it. You've got to focus and you've got to internalize what's being said. You can't shut your brain off. Okay, watch this. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Look at that. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. So the next I saw in connection with the beginning of the kingdom age is a new heaven and a new earth. But this new heaven and new earth is not the the removal of this earth right here and the removal of the heaven. You with me here? It is not new in the sense that, it ha- that what is coming into existence has never existed. <laughs> I must be sharing stuff with you guys that you don't have any idea, you don't know anything about because y'all are like puzzled. <laughs> when we look at this, we're going to see Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. He doesn't say, Behold, I make all new things. He says, Behold, I make all things new. It's a big difference between making all things new and make okay and making all new things. What he's doing here when we have a new heavens and new earth, he's making all things new. Which means what he's doing, he is he is doing a reconstruction or a recreation of this planet. Okay, it's all, he doesn't take this one and throw it away and then make a new globe. He takes this globe, okay, and makes all things new. Not make all, make new things, make all things, oh boy, see, y'all have already got me messed up. He makes all things new, he doesn't make all new things. So when he makes a new heaven and a new earth, he takes this earth right here and makes it kingdom age ready. And so the new heavens and the new earth are taking place at the beginning of the kingdom age, not at the end of the kingdom age, which is taught most of the time. It's connected with the I saw. And these I saws are connected with the beginning of the kingdom. So there's a new heavens and a new earth take that, that's 
recreated, reconstructed. I mean, it's a major reconstruction effort that God does, okay? And it's at the beginning of the kingdom age. New heavens and new earth. What awesome promises are given to God's people. And then, the fifth I saw in connection to the kingdom. Verse 2, And I, John, saw, now he says, I, John, saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The new Jerusalem comes down from God out of heaven at the beginning of the kingdom age. Right after the tribulation period, right after the battle of Armageddon and that destruction, okay, and the restoration of the land and Israel and the, the remnant of Gentiles going up to the throne. We talked about this last week. But and right at the beginning of the kingdom, we've got a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. A heavenly Jerusalem. And that heavenly Jerusalem is the bride coming down with the Lord. Seen with the Lord at the beginning of the kingdom age. Are y'all with me up to this point? Now, let me show you the interrelating factors, scriptures, interrelating the kingdom age and the new heavens, new earth, and new Jerusalem. Do you understand what I'm saying? Walk with me up here for just a minute. This is a thousand-year kingdom age. Look at this chart. On this chart, it shows after the thousand-year kingdom age, the new heavens and new earth. You with me? But, according to the word of God, at least in my understanding, and I'm not going to fall out with you on this if you don't believe this, that's fine. You believe what you want to. But if you want to be right, you... you... <laughs> I'm just... This chart shows that after the kingdom age, new heavens and new earth, and new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. But I believe that it's after the tribulation period, after the battle of Armageddon, that the new heavens, new earth, and new Jerusalem come down upon the kingdom age earth at the beginning. And that's when you have it. Now, what is interesting to me on this chart, it shows this earthly Israel being the head of the nations and this earthly kingdom right here, this thousand-year kingdom age. And then we've got a ladder right here reaching to the throne of God. Well, where's that ladder going to? Evidently, it's like Nathaniel saw a ladder reaching to heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. Okay? Connecting the throne of God. Jesus is the ladder. Do you understand? Connecting heaven and earth. I guess what I'm trying to tell you here is they've, they've sort of contradicted themselves here because they've got the kingdom age set up here, the, the um, millennial earth here, but they show a throne on this chart. See what I'm saying? Well, what they have to do is they have to take this and put it back over here. Let me show you how it's interrelated. Let me just go to the Bible. Isaiah 65, verse 17. These are the events that are taking place at the beginning of the kingdom. Isaiah 65, 
verse 17. Now, I'm going to really have to hurry if I'm going to finish this morning, aren't I? 65, verse 17. Now, watch how the kingdom age, the beginning of the kingdom, and the kingdom age, thousand-year reign of Christ upon the earth, how it's connected to new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem. They're interrelated. The sequence is the same time. 65.17 For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor, sh nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. You with me here? So what we have here, we have the Jerusalem, the Lord creating the new heavens and the new earth, and then he creates Jerusalem. And they are connected with the beginning of the kingdom age. They are interrelated. They are not separate. Do you understand? Isaiah 66. Boy, some of y'all look like y'all being shot. <laughs> Isaiah 66. Amen. Let's start there at verse 20. They shall bring all your brethren for an offering unto the Lord out of all nations upon horses and in chariots and in litters and upon mules and upon swift beasts to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, saith the Lord. As the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel into the house of the Lord, I will also take of them for priests and for Levites, saith the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. So he talks about the new heavens and the new earth and the Jerusalem of God in the context of the kingdom age. He doesn't put it in the context of being after the kingdom age. He puts it at the same time, at the beginning of the kingdom age. So, Revelation 21, go back there. These are events that are interrelated. The kingdom age and the new heavens, new earth, and new Jerusalem are interrelated. At least in my understanding of the word of God. You theologians out there, you can do with it what you want to. 21.1, I saw a new heaven. Now notice again, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. Now a lot of theologians, and I'm not a theologian, a, a lot of theologians claim that, well, this cannot be interrelated to the kingdom age because, okay, you with me here? 
uh, there's no more sea. You with me? It does, watch this. When at the day of the Lord, the battle of Armageddon and the destruction, his wrath is poured out upon the earth, he's going to wipe out the seas. Topographically, it's going to change the world. But in the new heavens and the new earth, in the kingdom age, it doesn't tell us that there cannot be any sea. There is no sea because Leviathan has been destroyed. The seven-headed serpent from the sea, his domain has been taken away. So that he has no, no more domain. He's, Satan himself is bound in the bottomless pit. The Antichrist has been destroyed with a false prophet. They've been put in the lake of fire. So the domain of Leviathan, the seven-headed serpent that is in the sea, has been taken away. It's very weak to try to prove that the new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem uh, are not at the beginning of the kingdom age by stating, by making the statement that there's no sea. Do you understand? There is no sea after the destruction of God, but that doesn't mean there, there cannot be any sea, physical seas upon the earth in the kingdom age because we know in the kingdom age, the Bible talks about a river coming out from the throne of God and going out and healing the nations. Now, I know where I am right now. I'm treading unfamiliar ground with you, but that's okay. Okay, <clears throat> chapter 21, 1 and 2 then. And I saw new heaven, new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I believe that this has all taken place at the beginning of the kingdom. So what you have then is the binding of Satan, the first day of the kingdom. The binding of Satan. You have the judgment... Of the sheep and goats, resurrection. John saw this resurrection of the martyrs. You have also, the Bible talks about the creation of a new heavens and a new earth, and then the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. Okay, four I saws and one I John saw. And they're all connected again at least in my understanding, with the beginning of the kingdom. H. Hallelujah. Awesome. Now let's back up and let's look at a couple of other saws, I saws, that are after the thousand-year kingdom age. Verse 5. Well, let me say this. The first resurrection then and the kingdom age are being taught to you and showed to you in Revelation chapter 20 through 22. When you're talking about the kingdom age, you're talking about Revelation 20, 21, and 22. You're talking about a time when there's a new heavens and a new earth and a, and a new Jerusalem coming down from God out of, out of heaven. You're talking about when there's a river flowing out of His throne at the beginning of the kingdom age. You're talking about when the curse is lifted off the earth at the beginning of the kingdom age. You're talking about tree of life, the beginning of the kingdom age. You're talking about the nations bringing their glory into uh, the, throne of, to the throne of God in the kingdom age. So Revelation 20, 21, and 22 are all things that are happening at the beginning of the kingdom age associated with the first resurrection. And we'll talk about them in just a little bit. But let's back up and let's talk about after the kingdom age, thousand-year kingdom age, he says in verse 5, there is a parenthesis. 
Revelation 20, 21, and 22 are events connected with the kingdom age. But God puts a parenthesis and explains to you what happens to people who are going to be resurrected in the second or the resurrection of the dead after the kingdom age. Okay, does that make sense? Got two resurrections here. First resurrection before the, at, the, at the time of the kingdom age, the beginning of the kingdom age, and then a, another resurrection after the thousand-year kingdom age. And so Revelation 20, 21, and 22 show you events and things that are happening at the beginning of the kingdom age and throughout the kingdom age, but then he goes back in, in a parenthesis. He shows you, by the way, this is what's going to happen to people who are not a part of the first resurrection. It's a parenthesis. And jumps way over a thousand years later and shows you what's going to happen to those people who are resurrected. Boy, this is heavy. Verse 5. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Okay? So the first resurrection, Revelation 20, 21, and 22, are events that are taking place at the beginning of the kingdom age and through the kingdom age. And now he's going to deal with the rest of the dead in a parenthesis. He says, blessed, verse 6, are the whole, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. I would say so. When you see all these this glorious, glorious things that are going to be taking place. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ. And they shall reign with him a thousand years. See that? So people who are part of the first resurrection are reigning with Christ a thousand years. People who are not a part of the first resurrection are, is the re are going to be a part of the resurrection of the dead after the thousand years. You see? And so Revelation 20, 21, and 22, he's showing you the glorious kingdom age and the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem and the bride of Christ having come down. Are you with me here? But then he shows what's going to happen to the rest of the dead. Okay? After the thousand years. Then he says, okay, praise God. And when the thousand years were expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog, Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So after the kingdom age, in this Corinthian time, the Lord says, at the end of that thousand years, Satan will be loosed. And he's going to go out into the earth and he's going to gather an army together. Where did this army come from? Well, at the beginning of the kingdom, the only people that you have going into the kingdom is saved Israel and saved sheep or saved of the Gentiles. Nobody that goes in the kingdom at the beginning because you can't enter into the kingdom of God except you're born again. Nobody goes in the kingdom at the beginning except they be saved. But a thousand years later, a thousand years of the kingdom, these people are having children. They're just like us. They got physical bodies. You've got physical living people upon the earth. You've got glorified saints, the bride in the Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem of God. Okay? And these people on the earth, the living uh, 
in physical bodies upon the earth are giving birth to offspring. And these children, everyone that are born, have a sin nature in them. Satan is bound, so Satan's not tempting them, and Satan is not coming against them in that thousand year period of time. But they've still got a fallen nature because they're not glorified. Because they're not glorified, then the offspring of these parents are born with a sin nature. And that's why a thousand years later, Satan is able to go and gather an army that will go and fight against God and the saints in Jerusalem. Do you understand that? See, there's a lot of people who say, well, if the devil wasn't here, I'd live for God. Well, you know what God's going to do? He's going to take the devil out of the picture. He's going to put him in a bottomless pit, kick the bottom out from underneath him, leave him in a bottomless pit for a thousand years, put people in a perfect environment with the Son of God Himself reigning. No devil, Jesus upon the earth. And He's going to show you that at the end of that thousand years, the offspring of those people who went into the kingdom who have a sin nature are still going to rebel against Him. So you can't blame your environment. You can't blame the devil for why you won't live for God. You need to own it. See, people in the church say, well, I'd live for God if the devil would leave me alone. And I'd live for God if my circumstances were different, if my environment was better. They're going to have a perfect environment with Jesus reigning and the devil out of the picture. But because they've got a fallen nature, that fallen nature... Drives them to rebel against God, even fight against God. So I'm just telling all of us here today, if you think that if the devil wasn't here tempting you, and if you think you lived in a perfect environment that you would live for God, that's not a guarantee. The fact that you've got a fallen nature on the inside of you is proven in the Word of God. That is enough to cause you to be lost without the devil in a perfect environment and you looking Jesus in the face. So get rid of your excuses. And that, I believe really, to be honest with you, that's what the Lord is doing here. He's taking away all excuses. You can't use the environment excuse. You can't use the circumstance excuse. You know, you can't use the devil excuse. You know, you can't, you can't keep talking like this one guy we used to know about. I think, you know, I, I, I know his name, but I'm going to give, you know, the devil made me do it. Guy. See, you got to get rid of that, that stuff. That's, that is just a bunch of lies and deception. And you better, you just need to own it and say, you know what? I've got the problem. I need to repent. I, that's why. That's why you've got to get regenerated. Because your old nature is enough to take you to hell. You don't need the devil to take you to hell. You don't need difficult circumstances and situations and problems in your life to be an excuse to send you to hell. You go to hell without all of that. You can go to hell sitting in church. You can go to hell looking Jesus in the face. You can go to hell sitting on a church pew. Let me use that analogy. They're looking Jesus in the face sitting on a church pew in the kingdom age. There's no devil and it's a perfect environment, a perfect church. And those children, because they've got a sin nature, still rebel. So there goes everybody's excuses. If you want to live for God, there's no devil in hell can stop you. If you want to live for God, 
It doesn't matter what your circumstance is. It doesn't matter what your problem is. It doesn't matter. If you want to live for God, there's nothing that can stop you from living for God. If you want to be on fire, nothing can stop you from being on fire. If you want to be lukewarm and carnal and fleshly and worldly, all you're doing is just giving yourself to what the devil wants you to do. Do you understand what I'm trying to show you here? So get rid of all these excuses. The devil can come stand on this platform right here. He can't, he can't do anything to me. He can't do anything to you if you're in Christ and you're walking with Christ. He can't make you sin. He can't make you backslide. He can't make you not live for God. Don't say I can't. Say I won't. I just can't do it. I just can't do it. You better stop saying I can't. You better stop saying. You better start getting real and honest and say I just don't want to do it. Because that's what it all matters. Amounts to. So that in, in connection with this. Watch. I just had to preach to you a little bit. You look at little Johnny, little Susie, going crazy, cussing you out, wanting to whoop you at five. And you're over there saying, get thee behind me, Satan. Devil, not even in, not a hundred miles away from little Johnny. He's, I mean, he's a hundred miles away from little Johnny. Little Susie, she don't need a devil. she got a nature in her that's, that's got the seed of the serpent. That's all, that's all they need is that fallen nature. And that's all you need. Hallelujah. That's why Paul says, mortify the deeds of the flesh. Crucify the deeds of the flesh. So anyway, perfect environment. Perfect church. Jesus is the pastor. Jesus is doing the teaching. And people are literally going up to the throne and hearing this awesome teacher Jesus teach the word of God. And they still won't live for him. And so the Bible tells us. Let's look at it. Chapter 20. Verse 8. And he shall go out to deceive the nations. Which are in the four quarters of the earth. Gog, Magog, to gather them together to battle. The number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Of course. Do you know why? Because they are the sand man. They are controlled by the Adamic nature. I'm telling you that for a reason. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints. Notice, the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about. And the beloved city. You get that? So evidently, they're upon the earth and they're compassing the saints, the beloved city, which means, this is exactly what it says. I'm telling you, the new heavens, new earth, the new Jerusalem of God are in connection with the kingdom. A thousand years later, there it is. And these unbelievers, these offspring of, of the believers who entered into the kingdom are now, they're, they're being deceived and they're, wanting, they're letting themselves be deceived. You can't, you can't even be deceived if you don't want to be. When you get deceived is when you start justifying and rationalizing sin. When you get deceived is when you start justifying and rationalizing why you won't live for God. That's dangerous. Start walking in deception. So he says, he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog, Magog, to gather them together to battle, and the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. 
And we had the battle of Armageddon before the kingdom. Now at the end of the kingdom, we've got another battle. It's called the battle of Gog and Magog. Satan, having been loose, gathers these unbelievers together to fight. You with me here? Now what happens? Okay. And fire, verse 9, came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So he makes quick work of these cats. You know, they think they are, but they think they big time. Boy, they're going to go fight God, fight the church, fight the saints of God. God said, oh, you ain't nothing. He just, he rains fire down on them. (laughs) Yeah, can you imagine? They think they'd be stud, real powerful, real proud, cocky, you know. And all of a sudden, whoo, fire starts falling on them. Oh, come on. That's where we are today. We've got a bunch of cocky, arrogant people walking around in defiance against God, against the church of the living God, thinking they're they, they going to make it. They're going to do it. They're going to, yeah, we can do it. Yeah, watch. God, you're going to rain down fire on them. Watch this. I know you don't like that. Your flesh don't, but I don't care. I didn't ask you. I didn't go down there to take a poll. <laughs> The Bible says this, And the devil, verse 10, that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. In Revelation 19 at the battle of Armageddon we saw the beast and the false prophet were cast alive into the lake of fire. And a thousand years later they have not been annihilated but they've been burning in hell for a thousand years. Which means hell is not a place of annihilation. Hell is forever. They've been in there for a thousand years. The false prophet and the beast. The antichrist and the false prophet. Now Satan, after a thousand years, is cast into the lake of fire. Where the beast and the false prophet were? No. Where the beast and the false prophet are. They're still in there. They're still burning. I don't know about you, but I don't want anything to do with hell because it's forever and ever and ever and ever and you can't get out man people who gamble with their soul they are all I can say is insane crazy people insanity you understand hell the lake of fire i've got statistics to talk about these these stars out there i'm talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands of degrees now lake of fire is nothing but a big black hole are you with me here the imploding of these stars and they say scientists say that a, a black hole is nothing more than a lake of fire i don't want nothing to do with it And that's where they are. And the Bible says that Satan is cast there with them. He shall be tormented day and night for what? Forever and ever. See, the problem with the church today and the pulpits today is there's very little preaching on hell. And because there's very little preaching on hell, people don't live holy because they don't fear God. That's right. 
And then he says, after that thousand years, of course, and we have this, uh, we have this, what's going to happen to the dead. Verse 11, I saw a great white throne. Him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great. Now, a lot of people will say, well, that's when the new heavens and new earth is. is. But I think you're interjecting into that verse uh, to say that that's when the new heavens and new earth are, are taking place, you know. Uh, the Bible says, I saw dead small and great stand before God. The books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades, of course. Um, the lake of fire is the final, final place. Uh, Hades, the temporary place of torment, is going to empty itself. The prison house of the damned today are going to empty itself before God to be judged. It's like you put in a prison, you put in a jailhouse awaiting to go before the judge. And then when you go before the judge, then you get sentenced and then you're sent to prison. Right now, the people that are in Hades, King James sometimes called, translates it hell, it is a place of torment. It's where the rich man is. Uh, it is a place of torment. It is a jailhouse awaiting the day that they will go before the judge and receive their, their sentence and find out why they are sentenced there. And then from there they will go to the eternal prison house called the lake of fire. Okay, you all with me here? It's real. In fact, sometimes I wish that, that we could feel the flames sometimes. I wish, I wish that right now God somehow could let the flames come up, up underneath the, from underneath the earth here. And let us just get a little, little touch and a little feel about hell. See? It's a real place. The Bible goes on and it says this, this great white throne, and we see these people, the dead coming before him. We see the books are open, the book of life. Book of life, of course, if you're in the book of Lamb's book of life, you would be saved. Because you appropriated what he did for you on the cross to your life. You would be saved. But if your, your name is not written in Lamb's book of life, you will be judged by this Bible right here. This law of God. He will not judge anybody. With something they don't have. He will judge people by this book, by the Word of God, so that everybody, lift your Bibles up, would you? Everybody's got the same book today. And this book right here is what the Lord is going to use in that day to judge people with. He's going to take their life and He's going to compare it with His Word. And He's going to say, you broke my law? Prison you go. The only remedy... For the broken law of God is that you appropriated His death, burial, and resurrection to your life. Are you with me here? He paid the price, so you didn't have to. And there will be a search made to see if your name is in the Lamb's book of life. And if it's not, then your works will condemn you and they will be judged by the law. And you will go from the jailhouse, if you've died, go, go from the jailhouse, Hades, to the lake of fire. Where the false prophet, beast are, Antichrist, false prophet, and Satan. And all his demons. Because I believe that when Satan is cast into the lake of fire, all his demons are also cast. And I don't want anything to do with that place. They torment. The demons torment. There are preachers in that place right now. Some of your family is in that place right now. Some of my family is in that place right now. And in the future, those demon spirits will torment them. And... 
you, you don't want anything to do with this place, all right? You want to be a part of the first resurrection. Eternal bliss, eternal glory, eternal sunshine, eternal happiness with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Or eternal horror and torment in the flames of fire forever and ever. You are sitting beside somebody right now that will one day be splendor like you have never seen before. Or you are sitting beside somebody right now that is horror like you've never seen before. Because everybody in this house right now is either going to be in eternal splendor and glory and be glorified or you will, I will be in the other place if I'm not right with God. Which means eternal nightmare and horror beyond measure. So you are setting by one of the two. A person who will be splendor or a person who will be torment and a nightmare and a horror beyond your wildest imagination. Right now, you walk among people. They will be splendors or they will be nightmares. Every day you live, you come in contact with them. And this is what Jesus is showing us here in this, the resurrection of the dead. And what will happen to those who are not in the Lamb's book of life. Come on, this is real stuff. This is real stuff. This is real. That's right. I said, that's right. This is real. That's right. That's right. For you to play games or for me to play games is insanity. Make short accounts with God. Make sure you walk close to God. Make sure you're obeying His will in your life today. You don't want to gamble with your eternal destiny. The Bible says in verse 13, even the sea gives up the dead which were in it. That decomposed matter of the flesh. People died. Some of them buried at sea. Some of them eaten by sharks and whatnot. Even the sea is going to give up the dead which are in them. There is no hiding place for anybody. Doesn't matter. And fall into the sea, be consumed by, by the fish and scattered all over the place in the, in the bottom of the sea, the ocean. They're coming up. There have been people who have been buried by trees and those trees invaded into their <clears throat> place of rest, so to speak. And those trees, those roots absorbed their bodies into that tree and pulled it up into the tree as nutrients. There's coming a day when those trees are going to have to give up the dead that are in them. There are people who have built huge dams and fell into those dams of concrete not, never to be found again some days. Those, those concrete dams are going to open up and they're going to deliver the dead that are in them. There is no place to hide. God's going to call it forth. You with me here? So in the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead which were in them. Can you imagine somebody standing before God who's been in, in Hades for hundreds and maybe thousands of years. And now they've got a glorified, they've got a body. See, it's been resurrected. Up to this point, their soul has been in hell. Their spirit body has been in hell. Who they are, in essence, has been in hell. But now their bodies are going to be joined to their souls and be cast alive, body, soul, and spirit, into the lake of fire. That's the difference. That's the difference. 
A person dies today and they're not right with God, their soul goes into Hades, their body is still in the grave, awaiting the resurrection of the dead. And when the resurrection of the dead takes place, then the body will be joined to the, to the spirit of the soul that's been in Hades for all those years, judged and then cast in the prison house of the lake of fire. That is the difference, do you understand? Cast bodily with a bodysuit that is equipped forever and ever and ever. Friend, that's, that's real stuff. That, that's, that's real. It's more real than this pulpit. It's more real than this church building. It's more real than the pew you're sitting on. That's reality. Because what you're sitting on right now is temporal. But Paul said that which you cannot see is eternal. So the eternal is more real than this temporary pew that you set upon today. That's real. What I'm telling you out of this book, that's, that's right. That's real. Right there. God's an awesome God. The Bible says they were judged every man according to the works, and death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So there's that parenthesis explaining the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Mm, I contemplate that. I think about that. Thousands upon thousands of people. People who never got right with God, even church people, even Pentecostal people, any, even preachers someday, resurrection of the dead, standing before God, and someday, Lord, look at them and, and tell them to depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. Cast them in the lake of fire. I remember that old search for truth chart. People being cast in that lake of fire, and this one woman saying, I did need the Holy Ghost. There she goes, casting the fire. Evidently, she tried to resist and say she didn't need the Holy Ghost, that just going to church was all she needed. Just her good works was all she needed. But she is being cast into the lake of fire and screaming, I did need the Holy Ghost. Another one screams out in hell forever, forever, forever in hell. Do you realize today that if you are not presently saved, you might have got saved ten years ago, but if you are not presently saved right now and you die, do you realize where you are going? You are realized where you're headed? If you're not leading, leading a repentant life and a relationship with Jesus Christ and walking in obedience with Him, do you, have you ever contemplated that if you were to die, if you leave this church, you were to die where you will spend forever and ever? Have you ever contemplated that? Have you ever thought about that? I know the devil would like for you to not think about that. I know he would like for you to be so busy living your life and doing your thing that you would not contemplate eternity. But here's a preacher today trying to wake you up to the fact that there's a real hell, a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. And it's real. And I tell you, I tell you, based on the word of God, that you must be born again of the water and the spirit or you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And you must have a present salvation. You have to have a past salvation, a present salvation to have a future salvation. You might have had a past salvation, but if it's not present, you don't have a future. 
You understand? Because when God talks about salvation, He always talks about it as past, present, and future. Not just some past experience. But are you saved right now? Are you walking with Him right now? That is the question. You have to have a present salvation to have a future salvation. This is real. How many people in hell today crying out? Wish I had one more day. Wish I'd have got right. I wish I'd have done things different. It's real. The Bible says in connection though to the righteous, their place and those that are a part of the first resurrection. The scripture tells us in Revelation chapter 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. See, I don't place this after the thousand years. I put that last death or that second death as a parenthesis to it. And this chapter 21 is a part of the kingdom age. But I leave the possibility there. That this new heavens, new earth, and new Jerusalem is coming down from God out of heaven at the end of the kingdom age. It's possible. The Bible says this, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So what does the Bible tell us about this city? The Jerusalem of God is where the bride will live. The question is, if you die today and you are saved, where are you going? A lot of people will say heaven. Well, in one sense that is correct. But in another sense it's not. Because the bride of Christ, the location, the home of the bride is the new Jerusalem. That's where I'm going. So somebody asked me, where are you, if you die, where are you going? I'm going to look at him and say, I'm going to new Jerusalem. What? New Jerusalem, yeah. I thought you were going to heaven. No, I'm going to New Jerusalem. Because the Bible says the Jerusalem of God comes down from God out of heaven. So the dwelling place of the bride is the New Jerusalem. That's where you go to see me, hopefully. And that's where I'm going to see you, hopefully, is in the New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. And you know, right now, you can manifest the Jerusalem of God right now. When it talks about the New Jerusalem of God coming down from God out of heaven, that's simply a manifestation of the bride. So you can manifest the Jerusalem of God right now. You are come to Jerusalem, Hebrews 12 tells us. But this, let me just stay in the ultimate. Come on, somebody. That's, 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 that's where the bride's going to be. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. So we've got, we've got some very interesting things here. We've got three symbols of the bride. First symbol, she's called a city. Second symbol, she's called a bride. And the third symbol, she's called the tabernacle or the sanctuary of God. You are the bride. You are the city. And you are the sanctuary of God. Do you understand that? In a spiritual sense and I do believe in the literal city, and I believe in literal bride, literal tabernacle, but there's a spiritual significance to this physical, literal teaching. Okay, you with me? So that the city is 
the bride. The bride is the tabernacle. Verse 3, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God with men. So where's the tabernacle of God? With men. It's the habitation of God. Are you the habitation of God? And he will dwell with them. Who? The tabernacle of God. They shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. So you are called a city. You are called a bride. And you are called tabernacle. Praise the Lord. That's what you are right now. That's not what you will become. That's what you are right now. But there is, of course, there's an ultimate manifestation, an ultimate fulfillment to what you are right now in the Spirit. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, or the former things are passed away. Isn't that awesome? And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Notice that. I make all things new. I don't make all new things. I make all things new. Hallelujah, man. It's awesome. He said to me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. He said unto me, It is done, or it is finished. It's done, it's finished. See the invitation. In Revelation 6 was come and see. Revelation chapter 3, an invitation to come and sit with him in his throne. Invitation at the beginning of the book. And now we see people responding to that invitation. You understand what I'm trying to show you here? Yeah. It's finished. Invitation to see. Now John says, I'm seeing. I saw. I saw. I saw. He took, he responded to the invitation. Are you responding to the invitation? Do you see it? Are you seeing Satan bound? Are you seeing the sheep going to the kingdom? Are you seeing the resurrection of those that were beheaded? Are you seeing the new heavens, new earth, and, new, and Jerusalem of God? Are you seeing, come on somebody, Satan bound for a thousand years? Are you seeing all these things? The invitation was given out. The Bible says, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The end is a person. The beginning is a person. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. First letter of the Greek alphabet, last letter of the Greek alphabet. The beginning and the end. The end is a person. Come on, it's all in Him. I will give unto Him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Verse 7, who's going to be there? Who's going to be there? He that overcometh. So we back up way back to the first part of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And constantly the Spirit of the Lord is saying, to him that overcometh. And then he says, if you overcome, in those particular churches, whatever the particular problem was, he says, to him that overcometh. And do you know every promise that he made was a most holy place promise? Every promise he made was a throne room promise. And that promise was to the overcomer. And so now the promises are fulfilled. The promises are coming to pass. You don't believe me? Go read Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And he wrote it to the church. To him that overcometh. And every one of those promises were most holy place throne room promises. 
And these are the people who overcame. They overcame Antichrist. They overcame the false prophet. They overcame world government. They overcame world religion. They overcame spirits, demonic spirits. They overcame Jezebel spirits. They overcame Balaam spirits. They overcame all kinds and all manner of things. So that the message of the whole book of Revelation is overcome. Be a part of God's glorious kingdom. The whole book of Revelation is looking for somebody that will overcome. And then the promise is given to those that will. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God. Who? Jesus is God. He's not the second person of anything. There's only one throne in heaven. One throne in heaven. The one that's sitting on that throne is God. His name is Jesus. He said, I'll be his God. And he shall be my son. Now look at that. Now we've got an analogy here. We've got a, a, a symbol here. We got a symbol of the bride being, a, a, okay, the, the church being what? A city. We've got her being symbolized as a bride. We've got her symbolized as a tabernacle. And now we've got a group of people he calls sons. So there's even a higher level than a manifestation of his new creation as a bride. There's even a higher level than that. And it is sonship. It is people who have power and authority. And these people are the people who manifest the father because they are called sons. And guess what sons do? They manifest the father. They look like their daddy. And so only overcomers move from this progressive place of outer court, holy place, most holy place, until they get to a place they're called sons of power. Benjamin, sons of my right hand. And so you start in this awesome city. It's got gates, and these gates are called by the 12 tribes of Israel. And you end up with Benjamin, the son of power. Power or the son of my right hand and I'm not just waiting till the ultimate right now I want to become a son of power I don't want to be just the bride I don't want to be just the church but I want to manifest the father I want to move into a place of maturity he that overcometh shall inherit all things I will be his God and he shall be my son. What an awesome promise to the overcomers. But then he talks about those who don't respond and those who don't overcome. Come on. It's not just to everybody. Do you hear this? These promises are not to everybody. They're not even to every church person. Let me say this. They're not given to every church person. These promises we're talking about are only given to people who overcome. Who get rid of their excuses. Who overcome. Who keep the word. The testimony of Jesus Christ to the end. They are the overcomers, man. Now the Bible says, but what happens to those who do not respond and don't overcome, but the fearful, hallelujah. See, a coward. Coward won't live for God. You know why? Because he's too worried about what the world thinks about him. He's too worried about what his family thinks about him. A coward won't live for God because they are people pleasers instead of God pleasers. But the Lord says, but the fearful. There's not going to be any cowards in heaven. 
only men and women of courage are going to be in heaven. But the fearful, cowards, and unbelieving. Yeah, see? Unbelieving. People who just wouldn't believe. Chose not to believe. And the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers. Sorcerers. People with sorcery today, pharmakia, involved in drugs and things like that. And idolaters. You don't have to bow down to a stone image to be an idolater. You can love yourself. You can worship your own ego. You can worship yourself. You can worship your wife. You can worship your children. You can worship your job. You can worship anything. Anything that you put in front of God is an idol in your life. Jesus demands he be first, not second. And anything that you or I put in front of God is an idol that we bow down to. And God says idolaters will not be in this place called the Jerusalem of God. I believe this book. I believe this book. I believe this word. That, that's, that's why you've got to be careful. Because there are things in this world that are not necessarily evil in and of themselves. But if you put them, make them first place in your life above God, you have become an idolater sitting on a church pew. Ezekiel saw the prophets. Uh, Ezekiel the prophet saw the things that went along in the sanctuary. He saw God's people worshiping idols. It's real. Do you hear what I'm saying? Come on, somebody. A man can worship sex. A woman can worship vanity. And not live holy. Because they're worried about what the world thinks. And always trying to fit into the mold of the world. I want you to know women. It's worth being holy. It's worth overcoming. It's worth doing it Jesus way. For the man who's tempted in the area of sex. It's worth to abstain. It's worth it to say no. It's say yes to Jesus. And say stay faithful to your wife. Walk with God. Live for God. Live holy. It's worth it not to live in idolatry. And adultery and fornication. It's worth it. It's heaven or hell. Take a pick. It's not easy. At times. To live holy and separated. And set apart. Sometimes you're rejected and sometimes you're mocked. But who cares? I want to be with God. I don't want to be outside of that city. I want to be in the city of God. What are you afraid of? You afraid of what people think? You won't be in the city. You got to make up your mind. I'm live for God. There are, there are women that I know that have been beat because they went to church. Beat because they went to church. Their husbands beat them. In fact, are you with me right now? Give God some praise. There's a couple of young men in a church in Taiwan. They're awesome young men of God. Ken and Roger is their English names. And when they were little boys, their mama raised them up in a Pentecostal church over in Taiwan. And every time she took them to church, that father, who's still an unbeliever today, we pray that he becomes a believer. Now they're no longer little boys, but they're young men. One of them just got married. Ken just got married. But when they were little boys, <clears throat> their mama took them to that Pentecostal church. And the father looked at those little boys and said, If you go to church with your mama... When you get home, I'm going to whoop you. I'm going to spank you. 
And so mama took him to church, brought him back home. When they got back home, just because they went to church, that father spanked him. He looked at him again. He said, if you go again, said, I'm going to spank you even harder than I spanked you today if you go again. And the youngest one, I think, he's, I think it's Roger, the youngest one, he was so afraid, so afraid. He tells mom, I'm afraid, mom. I'm afraid that if I go to church and I come home, daddy's going to spank me. I'm afraid. And the mama says, what do you want to do, son? He said, I'm going to church. He said, I'm going to church. He took, her, took that little boy to church, brought them home, and got a spanking again. But they kept going to church. And both of these young men now are older, and they are on fire for God. Thank God for that kind of commitment of people who will overcome anything. Even a father that threatens them if they go to church. I'm going to church. You can whoop me if you want to. You can kill me if you want to, but I'm going to church. Wives have been beaten because they were faithful to the house of God. Their husband wouldn't let them go. Tried to stop them. The wife said, you can't stop me from worshiping God. I'll obey you in every area that I need to obey you. But when it comes comes to worshiping God, you can't take that away from me. That's why I'm telling you, if you're afraid and you're a coward and you're an unbeliever, you're not going to be in the kingdom of God. Because you're more worried about people and you're a people pleaser instead of being a God pleaser. But I'm telling you, it's going to be worth it all someday. All your pain, all your suffering, all your agony, all... Paul said, I beat myself black and blue. You know, all that. You just keep yourself under subjection. You go through mental trial, mental anguish, and mental suffering. All for what? Serving Christ. And if you find yourself in the tribulation period, this message I've just preached to you will be more valuable to you. Because in that hour, you might have to lay down your life. Because I don't believe that God is going to pre-tribulation and rapture anybody out of here. I believe the church is going through the tribulation period. And so you have to overcome if you're going to be in that city. But the Lord says, hey, look, if you overcome it, this is where you're going to be. It's what it's all about. Brother, brother, give me just a little bit of monitor, please. I'm telling you, God is awesome. It's worth it. You know what? Here's the struggle sometimes. We start going through battles and we want to get depressed. And I know because I face that. We want to hang our heads. And, okay, well, I guess I might just give up. Might just give in. And I'm just so tired, you know, and all of that. But you know what? You've got to remember, you've got to overcome. Gotta, I can't let that get a hold of me. I can't let it get a hold of me. I can't let the spirit of this age... Take me over. My brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so, they're not on fire for God, so why should I? I'll tell you why you should be. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I'm reminded of that old faithful. I'll call him a prophet, Antipas. Antipas, Revelation 2 and 3, you can read about Antipas. His, Jesus called him my faithful martyr. He was such a respected man that even the Romans, the soldiers, the people of his city respected him. Unbelievers respected him and his walk with God. 
And he refused to offer up incense to Caesar and call Caesar Lord. And so these, these soldiers went to his, his house. And they begged with Antipas and they pleaded with Antipas. Come on, Antipas. All you got to do is just say Caesar is Lord right now. You know, you don't have to believe it. You don't have to mean it. Just say it because we don't want to kill you. Antipas says, I can't say Caesar is Lord because Jesus is Lord. And these soldiers, these soldiers looked at Antipas and they said, Antipas, don't you know that the whole world is against you? And history says that Antipas looked back at those soldiers and he said, if the whole world is against me, I then, I then am against the whole world. And they took Antipas and they put him inside of a brass bull and set that bull on fire and they roasted that man alive inside of that bull. He said, if the world is against me, the whole world is against me, I then, I then am against the whole world. He stood for Christ and Jesus said, he is my faithful martyr. See, it takes a lot if the whole world is against you to stand by yourself. But that man did it. Because of that, that man someday, if I make it and you make it, we shall see him. Because he overcame the whole world. I'm just going to tell you right now, I thank God for some of the men that God's raising up in this church to preach the word of God. They got a lion-like face, man. They got a zeal. They got a fire. They're not going to compromise the word of God. They're going to go from this house and they're going to shake hell and they're going to shake kingdoms and they're going to be affirmed and confirmed and full of conviction and on fire when they preach. Willing to stand against the whole world if the world is going to stand against what they believe in this book. We don't need carnal, lukewarm, backslidden preachers. We need preachers who are going to preach the word of God. And we need people in the pew who are being trained to do the work of the ministry. People that will go out in their world and shake hell and, and shake the workplace. And bring souls into the kingdom of God. Instead of trying to play both sides. The Bible says, you can sit there and you can be unmoved if you want to. I choose to be moved. I choose to be moved. I choose to be anointed. I choose to give myself to God. Whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall... Have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire. Oh, a liar too. Hmm. See, just to be a liar is enough to take you to hell. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life. And may enter in through the gates into the city. And then he says on the outside, and you can read Isaiah 66 and see it there. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Amen. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. 
And that doesn't necessarily mean it's got wings. Because an angel is a messenger. And anybody who stands up and preaches the book of Revelation is a messenger or an angel. And they are placed in the house, in the church, to testify these things. I am the root and the offspring of David. He's, God, he's David's God. He's the root and source of David. He is the offspring of David in the flesh. He is the son of David in the flesh. He is David's creator as God. Jesus is the root and the offspring of David. He is David's God and he is David's son according to the flesh. And he says he's also the bright and the morning star. Give God some praise. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. Now we, not only do we look like He looks, but now we say what He says. And the more of a revelation of Jesus you get, and the more understanding of the new creation that you have, will cause the river that flows out of you to be more and more pure with time. And what creates the purity in that river is a revelation of Jesus Christ, the one who's sitting upon the throne, the source of that river. That's what purifies it. And then the light that he has is the same light that is seen in you. And now she says what he says. And if you hang around somebody long enough, you start taking on their characteristics, but not just their characteristics, you start talking like they talk. Are you with me? And so now, because she has been in fellowship with him, and she's seen him face to face, now she says what he says. He talks, she talks just like her husband. And that's what we need in the church is for people to start talking, stop talking their own talk and start talking what the husband's saying. Start speaking the word. So now the spirit and the bride say come. An invitation to everybody on the outside. Let him that heareth say come. And let him that is a thirst come. If you're thirsty today, the invitation's for you. God doesn't want anybody left out. He wants everybody. He wants me in there. He wants everybody in this church in this. He doesn't want anybody to be left out. He That's why he keeps reiterating about people on the outside. He's saying, don't be them. Overcome. Get in here. If you're thirsty, you can come. Amen. Let him take of the water of life freely. That's the spirit and the bride. Come on. See, I can stand up here and I can preach to you and I can say, come, come on. Be born again of the water and the Spirit. Obey His Word. Overcome in life. But that's just one aspect of it. If the Spirit of God is not in here right now saying the same thing, you'll never come. Because no man can come to the Father except the Spirit draw him. I can't convict you. I can't draw you. But I can invite you. And I'm telling you, if you've not been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, I invite you to come. If you're thirsty, 
And that's not my doctrine. That's the word of God. And that's not a denominational doctrine. That's the word of God. That's what the apostles preached. And the Bible says this, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. Any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The end. God is awesome. Let's stand. Father, I worship you today. We have seen through the book of Revelation, Lord, a general overview of prophecy, the persecution of the saints, the destruction of the beast and false prophet kingdom, and the setting up, the coming of the Lord, and the setting up of his kingdom. And all of those who overcome, who will participate in that kingdom. Lord, we know that this will happen in an ultimate sense, in a physical, literal sense. But Lord, I also believe that even right now, that you invite us into the throne room. And whosoever will overcome God will may enter into those dimensions of your spirit. I pray ultimately, God, that we would manifest, we would reveal you in this earth. That heaven and earth would become one. First in you, Lord. Secondarily in your people. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we're thankful today for the book of Revelation. For it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about you, Lord. You and yours, Lord. Who will become one with you in union with you, Lord. I pray for this church, Father, in your mighty name, that what has been heard taught out of the book of Revelation would be studied, listened to over and over, and that which is correct and accurate would be embraced. Anything, Lord, that is not truth will be disproven by greater revelation and greater understanding. You are the omniscient one. You are omnipotent. You are omnipresent. We are not. And I trust, Father, with time that we will have a greater and greater revelation of Jesus and a greater understanding of the book of Revelation, the book of ultimates, the consummation of all things. the book into which all rivers flow. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to have, to have studied it. We are blessed because we have heard it read. 
Lord, we say yes to you. We will overcome by your grace. We will not use excuses. We're not looking for a perfect environment right now. We know that Satan is not bound at present. We know we're not in a perfect church as of yet. But Father, we thank you for the future promise. Of a city which is four square. Out of which flows a pure river. From the Lamb who is in the midst. Having removed all Babylonian confusion. There is no hint. Of any Mara in that water. No bitterness. There is no blood of dead men. Flowing to the horses bridles in that river. Father, I thank you today for your great grace and power. And I pray that your church would have a greater revelation of Jesus, the finished work he has provided, that we would go forth and would manifest him in this earth, reveal him, as Paul said, reveal him. Thank you for revelation of you, O oh Lord, for you are God. As you have died for us, rose from the dead, desire for us to move in your throne, manifest your throne, to manifest that crown. Only through the overcomers are you able to do this. I thank you, Father, that you're able to remove all idolatry out of us, all Babylonian confusion out of our minds, the harlot that sits between our ears. Beast systems, beast natures, imaginations, everything that hinders your appearing. Let there be a revelation of Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Would you just stand and worship him right now? Are you thankful today for his awesome promises to the overcomer? I love you, Lord Jesus. I stand in the midst of your congregation. Crying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. I exalt you. I thank you, Lord, for your anointing to teach and to preach the book of Revelation. To you belongs all the glory, the honor, the praise. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. Hallelujah. Remember next Sunday we start the, we will have the prophecy conference. We'll be in the midst of the prophecy conference and uh, question and answers from.
And the foundation of the wall of the city was garnished with all manner of precious stones. First foundation was Jasper, the second sapphire, the third Chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth a chrysophorus, the eleventh a jacinth, and the twelfth an amethyst. And every one of these right here would be found on the breastplate of the high priest. Really what it is, is just God's diamond ring for his bride. Can you imagine that, man? The, the, the light of God, the glory of God shining through all those beautiful minerals, a transparent gold city, the wall and the foundations, and even the gates are a solid pearl. That light radiating through that, that's awesome. In verse 22, he said, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And that's heavy stuff, isn't it? And the city had no need of the sun, neither the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved, look at this, shall walk in the light of it. That's why I believe, another reason why I believe this is the first part of the kingdom. Because the nations are walking at this, that the nations that are upon the earth. The nation of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. So they ascend up that earthly mountain of Zion. And they go all the way up into the Jerusalem of God. Bringing their glory into it. Beautiful, isn't it? The gates of it shall not be shut at all by day. For there shall, no, shall be no night there. They shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Ezekiel saw this water flowing out of the temple, but he did not know where it was coming from. But when you get in the book of Revelation, you find out its source, and its source is the Lamb. The river, the source of the river is the lamb. Let me just tell you this right now. If you are the city and the lamb is in the midst of you, then out of you will flow a pure river as crystal. Because it is the lamb who is the, the source and it is the lamb who is in the midst of us. Now, now John sees what Ezekiel didn't see. Ezekiel saw flowing out from underneath the threshold of that temple. He saw water going, going out of there. And he said when he saw that water, when it went out, everything that it touched, it healed. Everything it touched, it healed. It even went to the hab habitation of dragons. And when it went to the habitation of dragons, Ezekiel said it healed that place. So let me give you another witness from God. A witness in the stars. There's a witness in the stars. There is a man by the name of Aquarius who has a large picture. And he tips his picture over into the mouth of a fish. And that fish in, then in turn is seen in that constellation series. Is seen turned and headed down toward the underworld. You know what that shows you? It shows you that you receive the living water and that from you, you go into the underworld. You go into the place of dragons and every place that water hits, it heals even in the place of dragons. You can go down to the place of dragons in the underworld and reach for people and pull them out of hell by the living water that flows out of you. 
The Persian planisphere. The Persian planisphere shows the head of that fish is the head of a woman. And you'll remember Revelation chapter 12, the Bible talks about a sun-clothed woman with a moon underneath her feet. She's got a crown of 12 stars on her head, and those 12 stars represent the constellations. So God doesn't want you to miss it. He put it in stone. He doesn't want you to miss it. He put it in the heavens. He doesn't want you to miss it. He put it in His Word. This Word right here is God in written form. I said this is God in written form. He does not want you to miss that city. Come on, somebody. God in written form. I don't just preach to you words out of a dead book. I preach you the living word of the living God. This is God in written form. And that Persian planisphere shows that fish with the head of a woman receiving that water from the man. And that man is Jesus Christ. He is the source of the water that heals everything. Give God praise. So now we see what the overcomer is going to see. New heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem, pure river. Hallelujah. Clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, on the other side of the river, was there the tree of life. Say tree of life. On either side of that river was there the tree of life, which bare 12 men or fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And her leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And the Greek word for tree here is the cross. The tree of life is the cross. He doesn't want you to miss, miss the finished work. He doesn't want you to miss. It is finished. He doesn't want you to miss. It is done. Because these trees on either side of this crystal clear water proceeding from the throne of the Lamb is the cross. It is the tree of life. Look at your neighbor and say, it is finished. He wants you to see the finished work. I know some of you, you're not used to staying in church for an hour and a half or two hours. You're 30 minutes is about it. And you, you know, but you're not in that kind of church. Hallelujah. We preach all day long. I say we preach all day long because this is our bread and this is our life and this is our water. And there shall no, be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb. The throne of God even of the Lamb. The word Greek word Kai. The throne of God even of the Lamb. It's one throne. Shall be in it. Is he in you today? Is his throne in you today? Have you made it to that throne room? And his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light. They shall reign forever and ever, from the millennium, from the kingdom age, and beyond. What is starting at the first part of the kingdom age goes on and on and on eternal kingdom flows into the eternal kingdom of God and there you will be forever and ever and ever with the Lamb experiencing all of this glory and the Bible says this he said unto me these sayings are faithful and true 
And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angels to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of this prophecy of this book. Night John saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. This is his response. Then saith unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren the prophets and of them which keep the sayings of this book. He says, Worship God. He saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Of course, Daniel was told to seal it up until the time of the end. John is told not to seal it up. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. As the tree falls, so shall it lie. When you get into eternity, you can't, you can't change anything. The way you enter into eternity is the way you will be forever. You can't change anything. If you enter, enter into eternity holy, that's the way you'll be. If you enter filthy, that's the way you'll be. As the tree falls, so shall it lie. You can't fix it then. You got to fix it now. You got to change it now. The character you have right now is the character you'll have there. So here's the admonition. If you're holy, keep being holy. Never stop being holy. Be holy outward. Be holy inward. Be holy in everything you do. Holy with your eyes. Holy with your ears. Holy with your hands. Holy. Said, if you're holy, keep being holy. You're filthy, just keep being filthy. Come on, there's coming a time. And behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Come on. Oh yeah, when he comes for the church, he's going to have his reward with him. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Y'all believe that? He's everything, man. He's the beginning and the end. He is the message. He is the revelation. He is the one I must see. He's the one that John saw. He's the one you must see, that you must have a revelation of. He is the beginning and he is the end. He is Alpha and he is Omega. It's all about him. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ and everything he takes out of the way that he might appear. Anything that hinders his appearing is taken out of the way. Come on, somebody. The Bible says this. Watch this. Blessed are they that do his commandments. Look at your name and say, blessed are they that do his commandments. Oh, I thought you could be blessed without doing his commandments. That's the charisma tall today. That's what the charisma tall will tell you. You can be blessed by the grace of God. You know, blessed. You don't have to obey God. You don't have to keep His commandments. That's not what the book of Revelation says. It says you've got to be a keeper of the commandments of God. You have to be an overcomer. You've got to obey this book. You've got to walk in it. You've got to live in it. It's not enough to know it. You've got to do it. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Doesn't mean if you've ever said, you know, told a lie after you've come to Christ that you can't repent of that. What it means to live a lifestyle of idolatry, to live a lifestyle of a whoremonger, to live a lifestyle of a pharmacia person, drug person, to live a lifestyle of a liar. 
you repent and overcome, you could get in the kingdom too. Such were some of you. I said, such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified. In the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of our God, that's how you got justified. Such were some of us. We're not better than you are. I'm not better than anybody out there. I'm not better than anybody sitting in that pew right now. I'm telling you, we all need Jesus. Such were some of us. Verse 9, and there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials. I'm going to finish this book today. I'm going to finish it. There came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of seven last plagues and talked with me saying, come hither. I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. So the city is the bride and the bride is the city. In fact, Isaiah, you start reading chapter 60 through chapter 66 and it shows you the life in the city of God. It's beautiful. And Isaiah chapter 66 shows you those that are on the outside of that city. But read Isaiah 60 through 65, those last chapters of Isaiah, and see the life that is in that city. Revelation just takes from that. You with me here? He goes on, he says this. He said, I'm going to show you the, the bride, the lamb's wife. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great, that great city, the holy Jerusalem, Descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God and her light was likened to stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. See, that new Jerusalem comes down from God out of heaven. And that earthly Mount Zion protrudes up into that or up to that heavenly Zion. And the nations walk in it. And they, via Mount Zion, they have access even into the Jerusalem of God. The nations. The Bible says, she's, they're seen. Having the glory of God. Say, having the glory of God. So that's what true of Him has become true of her. I, I know. Thanks, sister. Come on, somebody. What's true of Him will become true of a people. Like in a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Y'all here right now? Say crystal. Crystal, glass. Sand that's gone through the fire. Sand that goes through the fire is what makes glass. And so it's the sand man. It's sand people. It's people who are, come from Adam. Who have gone through the water and the fire. And because of that, they are now crystal. Pure. They've let the fire of God purify them. Let them take the sandman out of them. Take the carnality out of them. And turn them into transparent crystal. Hallelujah. Are you with me? Are you willing to go through that fiery process? This is the bride. Having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone. Her light. Like unto a stone most precious even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a wall, great and high, had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, the names written thereon were the names of the twelve tribes, the children of Israel. On the east three gates. Did you see that? The gates, we've got what? We've got the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. And that wall, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates, on, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations. 
The Bible says in Ephesians 2, he says, you are built upon the foundation of the apostle and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. See, I believe what I believe because it's Bible. And the gates had the 12 tribes of Israel on them, but the foundation had the apostles. So that means I've got to preach what they preached if I'm going to get into that city. I can't just preach my own doctrine and my own church thing. I've got to preach what those apostles preached. Because that's what we're built upon. That's what that bride is built upon. That's what that city's built upon. The Bible says, He said, And unto them the name of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city. He always evaluates what is his. And the gates thereof, and the wall thereof, and the city lieth, what? Four square. It's a cube. It is the most holy place. It is the throne room. The whole city is the throne room. The whole thing. And that's why when the Bible talks about that earthly Mount Zion, it shows you this heavenly city coming down from God out of heaven. That heavenly city is the throne room of God. They are one and the same. You with me? Come on. The invitation to get to the throne room. Now we see people who have overcome, who made it into that most holy place, that cube. Do you understand what we're trying to show you? Four square. And the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And that's approximately 1,500 miles in each direction. He measured the wall thereof, 140 and four cubits. What? A hundred and what? A hundred and forty-four cubits. Remember that 144,000? Well, that is the 144 is the number of the overcomer. So it's the overcomer that made it into the most holy place, that cube. Come on. The Bible says the wall is 144 cubits. That's the, the number of overcomer. You've got the number of an overcomer all the way through this. Jesus starts out with the book of Revelation telling people to overcome, and he finds that we find out at the end where they're going to be. Amen. According to the measure of man that is an angel, and the building of the wall... Of it was of jasper. The city was pure gold. Like in the clear glass. Let me just stop. Let me just share something with you right here. I did a study on. And I have in my office right now. I have a, a piece of paper. That shows the diagram of the great pyramid in Egypt. And in that great pyramid of Egypt. There are chambers. That they discovered. There is in this great pyramid a chamber called the king's chamber. And then beside it there is a huge hallway called the gallery. With me? And then connected to that is a chamber that goes, or a passageway that goes way down here into the bottom of this pyramid. And in the bottom of this pyramid there is a place that is called the abyss. It represents hell. But this, this passageway going down into this chamber, watch, watch this, is a picture of Jesus Christ 
condescending in death to reach those that were in that chamber called hell, to bring them up. Now watch. Connected to the great gallery in the king's chamber, there is a queen's chamber with a small passage leading to that passage that went down into death. So what we have here is we have the very straight and narrow path which leads to life eternal, which was provided through the death of Jesus on the cross. That's what pulled people out of the abyss. And that queen's chamber opens up into that huge gallery, that huge hallway that goes up into the king's chamber. And in that king's chamber, there is a little coffer out of granite, granite stone, red granite stone. And in that little coffer there, it's empty. It's a coffer. It's a coffin. But the coffin is empty. And the coffer that is in that little pyramid, big pyramid called the Great Pyramid, that coffer that is empty is the size of the ark in the Bible. So that the one who's sitting on the throne is the one who is the risen. The one who died for us to pull us up out of hell. Straight narrow path that leads to eternal life. It is through the risen Lord. It is the risen Lord that reigns. And the queen's chamber opens up into a large king's chamber. And the king's chamber is the most holy place. And these are the people that are standing there who overcame. With me here? Give God some praise. And would you believe... That there are exactly 144,000 polished stones in that pyramid. Because that pyramid is a witness to the word of God in stone. It's awesome. It's awesome. I'm looking at some overcomers here. And someday you're going to make it to the king's chamber. And it's because he died, was buried, and rose again the third day that people can be saved out of hell. But it's a straight and narrow path that leads into that large chamber that leads into the king's chamber, out of the queen's chamber. A straight and narrow path. It's not broad. It's not wide. It's straight and it's narrow. Matthew 7. It's a straight and narrow path that, that leads to life. It's not broad. So that God doesn't want you to miss it. He even put it in stone. Give God some praise. He measured the wall thereof 144 cubits. According to the measure of a man, that is an angel. And the building of the wall of it was jasper. The city was pure gold like under clear glass. The whole city like transparent glass. See, that's what we need to be. We need to be transparent. All the impurities are out of that gold. All the impurities have been taken out of that people. We need to be that transparent people, that crystal clear people. All the sand man has been taken out. All that Adamic nature has been removed outside of us. 